Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Unknown Mining Podcast. My name is Aaron Hanshi. I'm happy to be here with Gary Thompson, the chairman and CEO of Brixton Metals, a company which he co-founded. Gary has over 25 years of project management and resource exploration experience in precious bin base metals, including oil and gas and geothermal power. So quite a diverse portfolio. So with that, I'd like to welcome Gary to the show. And um, yeah, hi, Gary. Hello, hey, ha happy to be here. Happy to have you. So one of the themes of the Unknown Mining Podcast is inviting some of the, the best and the best professionals from around the world to give their insight and input and teach somebody like me uh, a thing or two about what we don't know in mining. Some of the stuff that you can't learn in university and, and you might not hear in a corporate presentation. So with that, I'll just hop right into it. For you, somebody who's an expert and has been in the field a long time, what is something that we don't know that not everybody knows about mining? Well, <laughs> that's, a, that's a loaded question, a big question actually, but I think um, maybe most people, at least just learning about the business may not appreciate how long it takes to actually make a significant new discovery and then the timeline it takes to actually put something into production. And, you know, when you start off on, on this uh, adventure, we'll say, um, you know, it's, um, yeah, it, it, it's a process uh, really. And, and uh, even to make the discovery uh, can, take, can take decades uh, to get there. Um, so there, there's, um, you know, it's not a, uh, although people uh, can make a lot of money in, in the business, it's certainly, um, uh, it, you know, it's a bit of a long game. And, uh, you know, there's what's called the Lassonde, a Lassonde from Pierre Lassonde value curve. You know, it's taking a company from a startup, a new junior company, which has almost a zero value. And the, the Lassonde curve is as you go up that Lassonde curve, you make that discovery. There's a lot of value created in the discovery of, of uh, these mineral deposits, if it's a significant one. Um, and it gets a lot of excitement, gets a lot of momentum going. Um, and then it kind of falls off in, uh, into a bit of a trough uh, once the euphoria of this big discovery. And, and that could be a period of a couple of years. You know, a good example is uh, a Great Bear uh, resources that, uh, you know, had a, had a great discovery in on Ontario, Red Lake area. Uh, went from 10 cents uh, and they just recently closed a $30 takeout with, uh, with Kinross. But that took about four years from 10 cents to $30. That's, that's the sort of junior mining success story, I think. Um, why a lot of people, you know, get into the space. So um, going from, uh, you know, almost zero to, uh, you know, multi-billion dollar company kind of thing. Um, so, and then there's, a, then there's a big gap from that discovery and okay, you've got something big and maybe you got a big resource. And then there's a bit of a trough there because you're in the now development stage and engineering and, and permitting uh, can, take, uh, can take a long time. And one, one thing that I've learned is that the bigger the project, uh, the longer it takes. Uh, if you look at some of these uh, mammoth deposits like Donlin, um, you know, it's just for forever uh, to get uh, to get them built. And in some cases, they may never never get built. Like Pebble is a good example, one of the largest copper gold deposits in the world, in Alaska, and it's it's uh, being challenged uh, um, to uh, you know to get through the permitting process to get the green light to build it. So. Um, some may never get built, which is unfortunate that uh, you've got these uh, 
great deposits of wealth to be uh, to be developed, but may may never see the light of day. Yeah, that's a good point you bring up. Uh, so with all the the hoops to get through in terms of permitting, uh, the exploration process, just the discovery itself, um, and then Great Bear being one end member with a four year turnaround, more or less. Mm -hmm. What's the average time it takes for a mine to go from sort of the discovery to the production side of things? Ooh, average, I mean, uh, I'm sure there's some stats on that, but um, I think 10 years is optimistic. Uh, it's more, real, more, more like 20 years uh, process. And if you look at some other big deposits like Delore Creek that was discovered, I believe in the early 60s, um, still not a mine, great deposit, uh, likely will be a mine someday. Um, so there's a lot of factors that go into these, uh, you know, uh, permitting and engineering take up a lot of that, um, depending on where, where it is. Um, and there's, you know, jurisdictional uh, uh, challenges and uh, some places are easier to work than others uh, from that perspective, but then there's also risk of nationalization and you may get a permit quicker, but you may get the property uh, nationalized along the way too so there's the worst case worst case scenario there yeah pros and pros and cons um yeah it is i think it is generally taking longer uh, these days there's there's a lot of uh, nimbyism and that's not in my backyard uh, uh mentality um while everybody wants to uh, have the luxuries of the modern world uh people don't want um don't seem to want resource development in their backyard so that's that's some challenges um, for for the for the industry and, and you know as, as a whole I think. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And when you say that uh, Great Bear stands out as an exception with a four-year turnaround time, you also do mention like Galore Creek and how it's still not a deposit yet. So what's it's a, no, it's a deposit. It's sure. it's a well-defined uh, resource, um, but it's you know it's in this engineering. It's in the hands of two majors as partners. So. I believe that one will get developed, but it's it's a you know it's a has an, some engineering challenges and and it's got to just run the process. True, it's not a mine yet. It is. It's been a deposit yeah. for since it formed <laughs> millions of years ago. But I guess the question then is, in a process that takes such a long time, from the discovery through all this permitting processes through the engineering problems, how do you maintain value when you look at the Lasong value curve? Um, over such a such a duration well i think you know the value is in the commodity that you have in the ground so that changes with the price of the commodity so if you started off with a million ounce resource and the gold was a thousand bucks an ounce and then gold goes to five thousand dollars an ounce um you know that that's a big value difference in in the metal sitting in the ground and that may also change the economics of, of the project. You know, as you see commodities rise, um, you will see probably lower and lower grade deposits making economics because it's more valuable. Thus, uh, the economics work work better even at lower grades. Um, so, you know, if the commodity goes to zero, then you're basically you don't have any value in your asset. You could have done all the engineering and ready to pull the trigger on a feasibility. And then the commodity price drops out uh, to below the economic threshold, then you don't build it. Um, and you know, there's something to be said for these big projects. And I think why the majors 
uh, want them is because they have long lives. You're talking 20, 30, 40, 50 years. In some cases, you know, they run for a very, very long time, 100 years maybe. Um, so long life assets are, are something uh, that are rare. And um, so, yeah, it comes down to, uh, you know, economics at the end of the day. And, and you have value in the ground if you've done enough work and you've proven it up to uh, a resource uh, reserve category then that holds value uh, as long as the commodity prices remain somewhat stable and they don't crash down. Yeah, I guess it also makes sense then that you would want to diversify your holdings a little bit and diversify like a diverse deposit or a deposit that's got multiple commodities, multiple resource style uh, types. This could be more valuable. We're talking about the um, value and the timeline of value generation for junior mining projects, major mining projects, and moving a uh, project forward along what can be a multi-decade process. And one of the aspects of that is maintaining value and maintaining uh, shareholder interest in your project. And we've come to the topic of diversification. And this can be diversification of holdings geographically or, or by resource. Um, and so I'd like to ask Gary, uh, how important is it then that, that you, as, a, as an exploration manager, as a company owner, are not pigeonholing yourself when it comes to, to the development of your resource targets? Yeah, that's, you know, that's an interesting question because there's value in diversification. Um, and I mean commodities as well as geography. Um, for jurisdictional reasons, um, because you never really know until you get these things to, you know, feasibility and economics, and you've got the financing to build the mine. You don't really know until you're there that it's going to get built. Um, you plan for those success, but you you don't really know. So there's there's rationale to have, uh, you know, geography diversification for, uh, you know, maybe for seasonality. Um, like we've done at Thorn and, and say our Ontario project. So there's some rationale for seasonality uh, diversification to be able to keep, keep things uh, rolling, keep the news flow rolling, but also commodity diversification. You may have uh, say a lead zinc silver deposit and um, uh, lead zinc is doing very well, but silver is not doing so well. So if you're mining, um, it can be in a situation where you're not making much money on the silver, but lead zinc is paying the bills or, or vice versa. You could be in a, a copper gold scenario where uh, copper is very strong and, and gold's uh, prices has declined. So there's lots of cases where, you know, we'll say if it's a copper gold deposit, the, the gold pays the bills and the copper is, copper is the margin sort of thing and, and vice versa. So, you know, you can, um, there's, there's um, certainly benefits in these uh, multi-commodities. And think of it, if you have, you know, just a, just a pure play copper project, while there, there's a lot of interest in pure plays these days, um, maybe if you want, I just want copper exposure, where's a pure play copper exposure? But if you're a pure play uh, a company and uh, that commodity goes down, you you're, could be in trouble and, and potentially out of business. Um, so there's good, good value and good reason, good rationale to have uh, multi-commodities in your, in your portfolio and in, even in the mine plan. It can make for some complexities uh, when it comes to processing these ores if they're too complex. Um, but ideally, it's good to have one or two or three other metals that come out of the mine. 
How does that work uh, for the exploration company then? It seems like there would be some value in identifying potential byproducts and, and sort of minor mineralization styles. Yep, and these are good for like porphyry deposits. Uh, like we, uh, one, of the, one of the targets that we're on at Thorn is a copper, gold, silver, molly. And if you just saw the recent news, uh, Seabridge announced um, a $200 million silver stream and they have a, they have several deposits in in their um, in their mine plan there, but they there's you know they've got a silver as a byproduct. It's not a main metal in the mine, but it's significant enough that they can monetize that and forward sell that as a stream uh, to investors. So they use that capital to help advance the development of the project by giving up some of the upside on a we'll call it tertiary commodity in in, in the mine development. Yeah, no, I think it's pretty clear also with the fact that we're trying to minimize our environmental footprint. The fact is, if we're pulling out more metals as byproducts, then we can also not just create financial value, but also sort of like a sustainability value. Um, I'd like to shift a little bit because you mentioned a couple of times the Thorn Project and, and geographical diversity. So maybe you could touch on this topic of diversity and mining through what you're doing now with Brixton Metals and, and the different properties that you're running there. Yeah, so uh, Brixton was listed in 2010 um, on our Thorn project. That was the uh, Northwest BC. It's kind of north of the, the what's known as the Golden Triangle. Um, in, in 2010, uh, we've worked there for many years, but it is a seasonal operation if you've been up in Northwest BC. Um, lots of activity in the summer months, but uh, winter months, it's for exploration They generally uh, wait till the next season. So from about May till uh, October, maybe November, if you're lucky. So then you're about six months of the year, seven months of the year where you're not actively exploring. So for a junior mining company, it's it's pretty challenging to, uh, I mean, there's a lot, we're doing lots over the winter months, but uh, processing data and stuff like that, but we're not drilling holes. So it becomes a bit of a quiet from a news flow perspective. So we, we uh, were looking for diversification outside uh, on a seasonality. And you see a lot of companies that have, say, have a project in the Yukon and they have a project in Mexico or, or Nevada or Arizona or something. And we decided to go in Ontario um, because we found a, a great asset called Langus, uh, which is a past producing high grade silver uh, cobalt uh, mine with great infrastructure. You can work, basically work there all year round, so it allows us to uh, focus on that perhaps in the winter months. Um, and then, uh, you know, we did diversify into Montana as well. We picked up a, uh, an asset in uh, Northwest uh, Montana. And that was just a really a bottom of the market deal. We saw a great opportunity for a past producing uh, high grade silver, polymetallic silver, gold, copper uh, mine and, and development story. Uh, you know, we paid a million bucks in stock for that deal. Um, and that's a classic bottom of the market opportunity um, that we've been able to do some work on. And then um, we struck a deal with the Ivanhoe Electric guys on that um, uh, for a JV earning. So I think there's good rationale for, for uh, you know, diversification from the commodity as well as, you know, basically geographically uh, for, for various reasons. Yeah, look, I mean, looking at the looking at the Brixton portfolio, it does seem quite diverse in terms of geography. Yeah, but also mineral resources. I mean, silver cobalt, that's not your normal everyday 
run-of-the-mill junior. It's not in the copper-gold world where everybody seems to be playing. But at the same time, the Thorn Porphyry system in, in BC kind of fills that fills that space and can can take the place as the sort of flagship flagship project. With that, I guess uh, I'd like to see if say if you have any any last comments or questions about diversification and and how how this can help exploration companies, uh, how to play it, how to how to find value in the unknown, if you want to tie it back into this. Yeah, I mean, sure. I think there's there's value in diversification. Um, you know, there's a lot of niche uh, niche metals uh, out there. And certainly with electrification, uh, we're seeing more of these high tech uh, metals and minerals, um, critical minerals that are that are getting attention. Um, but they can be, in, you know, even the um, rare earths, uh, it's certainly a niche market and interesting. But if you look at the bigger market, it's really still copper, gold um, and silver uh, are generally large markets. And if you find a good a good asset and good jurisdiction, um, you have a better chance of, uh, because it is a bigger market, you have a better chance of, uh, you know, making a sale, making an upside, getting a transaction, um, having a win, um, just because it is a bigger market. So that's kind of how we play it. Uh, I mean, Brixton's focused on really copper, gold, silver. We do have these other elements like cobalt and some nickel in there. Um, but the main driver are the commodities that are really in, that have a bigger market uh, for us, at least. I mean, there's our bigger markets like iron and iron and uh, oil in the commodity sector, but uh, you know, we're, we're, we're not playing that. We're, we're, I'd say reasonably focused on, on those commodities. Yeah, well, it's great to hear and we'll keep looking for, for the new news coming out of Thorn and the Thorn Project and, and, and Bricks and Metals. I think it's clear uh, that we can all stand to diversify a bit, uh, but to keep paying attention to these value curves. Yeah, for sure. So. Gary, thanks very much for your time today. And um, we're happy to have you on the on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Thanks. And for everybody listening, we'll hope to thanks for tuning in. We hope to see you next week. And until then, keep exploring the unknown. <laughs> <laughs>